What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of National Board Conversations. It is Native American Heritage Month, and I wanted to talk to a Native American NBCT and get their perspective on the process and much more. So on this episode, I speak with Catherine Lowe. I had never had a Native American teacher as a student growing up. She's a National Board Certified Teacher on the Reservation out in Washington State. We get into why she originally left the reservation and then came back, discuss how she is able to weave her traditions in the classroom and much more. It was a conversation that pulled on my heartstrings. Here's Captain Logue. Captain Logue, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's so much to have you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> All right, so we'll get right into it. Uh, can you give us your current role and give a brief intro of yourself? Then I got a few questions for you. Sure. To get a little bit more on the personal side. Sure. My name is Catherine Logue. I am the special ed director for my school district right now. Um, I have been in education for about 19 years now, and I've done the national board process twice. And very excited about that. I have taught fifth grade. I have taught special ed. I've been an autism specialist. So I've kind of done a little bit of everything and born and raised on the Colville Confederated Tribes Reservation. Um, I have a daughter who is 12, who is also an enrolled member. I'm living back on my reservation. I'm very excited about that. I've been living here for probably about seven years now. So um, that's kind of my quick down and dirty intro. Appreciate it. So it's very timely to have you during uh, Indigenous Heritage Month. So yep. given that, what are your three favorite foods? My three favorite foods. Okay. They're all, they're probably all carbs, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I like bread. I like lasagna and I really love, my mom makes this white chicken chili that I am totally obsessed with and will eat it three times a day if she makes it. So I really love it. Oh man, you're gonna have to get a recipe. I know. I have. It's not as good. There's something <laughs> about what I don't know. She's got some mama magic or something. I can't. I can't replicate. But it, mom touch is always special. <laughs> yeah, I think she hides things from me, so I'll come by and visit, which is also pretty awesome. So. <laughs> All right. So the last three songs on your music playlist. Okay, the last three songs on my music playlist are. Um, oh, I can't remember it. Actually, I don't, I, we listen to a lot of traditional music at my Ooh. house. So we have, you know, the drum group Northern Cree. I really like them. Um, and we have some Randy Edwards, who's an excellent percussionist. And so we've been listening to a lot of that this whole summer month. It just kind of gets me going. It's, um, I used to dance. Um, I was a jingle dancer. I enjoy listening to music like that. It really kind of centers me. My daughter really enjoys it. And it's a it's a total 100% part of our home life. So we do listen to the radio, but we just enjoy, we enjoy listening to drum music. It, like I said, it kind of brings us back, recenters us and makes us feel cool, calm, collected. And we really like that. That's awesome. You educate us on a little bit of music from the so, all right, the one sports scene that has your heart, and if you're not a sports fan, the movie you can recite line for line. 
Okay, so we are, I am a, I have two sports teams that I'm just totally into. Of course, we're a Seattle, Seattle Seahawks people. Okay. Enjoy them. They're, they, they could be doing a little better, but, but we're fans nonetheless. <laughs> and we're definitely into the Washington State University Cougars. So we're all about those two teams. We uh, used to be season ticket holders to the Cougars. And we just, we watch them any chance all their sports anytime we can. So that's awesome. I like their quarterback they got up there. Cam yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty awesome. Want him to stay. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. All right. So can you share why you became a teacher and remain connected to education? Yes. Yeah, so uh, more than a few years ago, <laughs> I actually went was going. My dad is a forester. And most of my family are in natural resources, wildland firefighting. I spent all of my high school time working in forestry as an intern and really enjoyed it. But when I got to college, I realized really quickly that I didn't enjoy all of the coursework. It just didn't speak to me. And I realized that I liked the work, but not the coursework. So I took some time out of college and ended up becoming a reading tutor for necessarily Spielham Elementary and loved it, loved everything about it, loved, and that's the school I went to for elementary school. So I loved it. I loved connecting with the kids. I loved being their tutor. And that actually got me started on this, maybe I want to be a teacher. I always have had a lot of respect for teachers. And the thing that I love the most about teachers is they seem like they are constantly learning. They're always reading books. They're always, they just, they're always curious about things. And I find that to be pretty central to my own nature. So I started to go to school. And then once I got into school, I realized that um, I kind of had a passion for special ed and elementary ed, and I wanted a way that I could do both. Um, so I got a dual endorsement from Eastern Washington University and was lucky enough when I graduated to be, I didn't have to sub for a long time. I actually graduated in February and I got picked up for a job in, in um, Colfax, Washington, probably in March and stayed oh, wow. there. Yeah. And stayed there for, you know, five, six years and it was great. So that was really why I became a teacher. I don't have a lot of teachers in my family, but the other, the other inspiration once I really got going into my classwork was that I had never had a Native American teacher as a student growing up. And I had very dedicated teachers, especially in my elementary school, um, they came every day. They inspired me. They wanted me to look beyond, you know, barriers. And I have a family that really supports education. But that was the one missing link for me is not having a face that looked like my own. So that really, really inspired me to, number one, get my education. But number two, find a way that I could return back to my own reservation so that I could be that person that I look like you, I talk like you, I know your family. I know, you know, we see each other at traditional gatherings. I mean, I, I really wanted to be that fully connected person because I feel like this community has given me a lot. When you go out, I have come from a large family. So when you go out in public, 
I was always raised that anybody could talk to you. Anybody could tell you that you're not doing the right thing. And I really took that to heart. And I had a lot of people who shared a lot of good conversations with me and always looked out for me. And I feel like this is this part of my life is about giving part of that back and trying to enhance the community that really gave me a lot. So that that's kind of my roundabout, but that's really why I like to be in education. Now it's awesome to hear and having that teacher that looks like you, mm-hmm. will, it just connects in a different way. Yeah. Like I talked to a lot of friends about the first time I had a black teacher and it just changed everything for me. It just mm-hmm. changed, it changed my whole outlook on who I could be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, was, it was great. It's a, uh, awesome to hear that you want to be that person for other indigenous children on, on your reservation. That's really awesome. Yeah. So how has your indigenous heritage influenced your teaching philosophy and practices? Well, um, you know, we grew up, I grew up in the seven drum religion and that is, you know, basically we're really connected to the earth and creator and we have seasons in our lives, you know, we're in the fall winter season. So this is when we tell our stories and things like that, when things have slowed down. And I really feel like, you know, our history is oral. And so for me as a teacher, I'm a very oral person. I like to speak about myself. I like to speak life into other things. And I feel like as educators, that's what we're doing every single day is we're speaking life into our students, into their learning. Um, It isn't just a situation where we get out your workbooks and we're going to do page five to six or whatever, and then we're going to move on. We have a lot of relationships that we're developing all the time and fixing and repairing. And, and that was definitely part of my culture growing up, that we, we have respect for ourselves. We have respect for our earth. We respect our teachings. We respect our elders. And we're always constantly learning something. Um, I'm actually not even considered an elder in my family. They still call <laughs> us kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's a good way to think about things, though. It's that constant learning part of us. That's how we're raised to be, that we're just, you know, we're not actually elder, elders till we pass over to the other side in a lot of ways. And it's because we're constantly learning, we're constantly evolving, and that's the way we should be. But we're supposed to be doing it with kindness and compassion. And I really um, have tried to remember that every time I've walked into this school that, you know, I leave, I leave whatever I have on my mind and my heart behind because I'm touching a lot of minds and hearts going forward. And I want to keep that in my, my front view at all times, because, you know, you, you really can make a difference by doing something small, you know, and, and small seeds can be can be planted all the time. And and it's just really important to remember that. So that's part of my culture that really comes into play for me almost every day here. Powerful stuff. You got me here again, real introspective. (laughs) And we we got to keep on this podcast. So you're not in the classroom anymore. Why'd you leave? I left because, you know, actually I didn't leave in a bad way. I really, it was an opportunity or because During the pandemic, our um, special ed director, who had been here for several years, was transitioning out. And we really didn't have a special ed director for almost a year and a half. And when this opportunity came open, I just thought, you know, maybe it would be time for me. Maybe there's a reason. I really loved my classroom job, but I really wanted to 
have this bigger picture view. And I wanted to, I'm all about services. So, you know, I'm definitely one of these people that not perfect, but I want to leave you better than you, than you came at me. Right. And that was kind of my whole goal with being a special education teacher. So I left my fifth grade classroom and my co-teacher that I loved very Mm -hmm. much and decided to take on this bigger challenge because I wanted to see if I could reach more people and to continue, you know, we just have some excellent teachers here. And I really wanted to see if we could, if I could continue just, just furthering that, that label of excellence and those great services that I had been seeing and kind of take a different dynamic approach. We really need to have more community members involved in our school. And um, I wanted to see a lot more Native families being more comfortable coming in the door, especially if they, like I said, see a face that they know and see a, see a person that they recognize. And so um, that was my bigger goal. And so far year two, it's been, it's been a really exciting experience. Um, it's totally different from teaching and I, and I wouldn't be lying if I said that I miss teaching a lot. So I do try to stay pretty visible with kids and I get out in the hallways and things like that because I do miss that interaction. There's just something, adults are, are awesome, but there's something more powerful about being around kids and kind of hearing their stories and what they did on the weekend and, and going to their games and just kind of being part of that whole thing is just, it's really powerful. So I, I try not to miss out on that too much. That's awesome. So while you were in the classroom, you pursued National Board Certification, National Board Certified. That's why you're here. That's why we talked to you. What pushed you to pursue National Board Certification? What was your journey like? Did you achieve on your first try? Yes, I achieved on my first try. It was really interesting because I was actually moving between two districts oh, when man. I, yeah, I, I, my husband moved and <laughs> kind of was like, well, I guess you got to move too because it's almost two hours away from your school. And I kind of had it all set up in my mind. So I had to redo my game. And, um, I was living in a house in the basement because we bought a house that we had to redo and pretty much punching out all of my national board stuff. It was, and I was an autism specialist. It was a job I never had had before. So it was, it was a really unique challenge, but I actually really appreciated that because number one, I had an excellent staff to work with, but number two, you know, it just helped me. I really think it helped me to really get to know my students way more in a shorter time frame. I spent a lot of time with them anyways as a teacher, but just to really reflect on what I was doing and my practice and things like that, it really um, honed that in for me. And I think it made my time um, in my school district that I was working for much better because like I said, it was just when you're doing that process, it's really intense and the reflective part of it is really intense. And and um, I think that it just it just may, helped me to develop relationships and it, it really was a game changer for me. So I appreciate it, but it, it was a lot, of, it was hard. It was pretty intense for me. Like I said, I use that word frequently, but that's like the best word I can use to describe the process. Um, it's intense and it's intentional, I guess. You can't, you, you're really going for some very focused things. So it was, it was a great process though. And I bet it, like you said, it helped you build those relationships with your students. You were transitioning districts in the middle of the yeah. school year. So you were going to have to build that relationship anyway. So I'm like, like you said, it helped accelerate yep. that process for you. 
Yep, it totally did. It totally did. And then, like I said, getting to know the staff. I mean, it was just that whole, it was really, really focused. I really had to start hitting the ground running as soon as I got in there day one. And it was just, it was really fulfilling. Plus, you know, the nice thing was I actually had other teachers. I had two other teachers in my district that were doing it. So we ended up being in the same cohort. They weren't special ed teachers, but it was a great way for me to just get to know them pretty, you know, we were having dinner at each other's house and we were doing things so we could just kind of get through these um, assignments and have other people look at them and things like that. So it was it was really awesome. It was a great thing for me. Yeah, we like to tell people it's better to go through it with a partner. So it's mm-hmm. nice to hear that you were able to develop that in your cohort when you was when you was moving. Yeah. And actually my second time through, those same people were doing it too. (laughs) So I actually saw them at a few, because the second time through, you don't have as many um, directed cohorts, but you do have some activities that you can do. And I actually saw them a couple of times and we did end up working on a few things together just to make sure. So it was great. They're kind of like lifelong relationships that I've had just going through that process. So it's pretty awesome. That's really cool. So what was the most helpful coaching conversation, resource, or piece of advice you received while you were going through the process? The the most helpful thing that I got going through that process was that, you know, it's self-reflection. That's really the big thing about National Board is it isn't necessarily about trying to make the grade. It's about reflecting and constantly reflecting and getting into that practice. So giving yourself grace that that first lesson isn't going to go as well as you thought or that video, because I actually had a video that I tried to do about four times because I had a kid with autism who kept knocking the camera over. <laughs> and, and it was just, it was, it was a challenge, but just giving yourself that grace in that space and realizing that, you know, this is helping you you to grow when I had that conversation in my cohort, because to me, in my mind, you know, just being four years out of college at the time, I was still in that college mindset that I'm going for some grade, that I'm trying to meet some unseen level, but actually the level is yours. You're really trying to reflect on your own practice and, and, and show all of those improvements and show that journey. And I think that was the best the best advice I got that it was a journey that, you know, we are striving for excellence, but it's all about your practice and, and, and having those improvements and those journeys in your own practice and reflecting those. So I think that was, that really took a lot of the pressure off of me to feel like, is this an A level paper? Is this a, you know, I mean, it really took a lot of pressure off of me. So how do you think the national board process can help educators develop the correct cultural competency when engaging indigenous students in their communities, because unfortunately, like we know that a lot of mm-hmm. a majority of school teachers are not teachers nope. of color. Nope. Nope. I think that um, it would be nice to see some more um, cultural competency type of activities in national board, because I feel like teachers are already reflecting, but I think the, the, you have one part that's like a community engagement and it would be sort of nice to see that turn into more of a cultural relevance because our communities are, you know, you have African-American students. When I did my first round, it was an African-American student and Hispanic student. I mean, just all mm-hmm. these, not just native people, but they just have all these different cultures and, I like the reflective practice, but part of being part of that community is sort of knowing, you know, 
what it, I was in a class and everyone said every, every community has their own sacred cow, you know, I mean that you, you cannot touch type of thing. And I think it would be nice if we could reflect a little bit more on that and personally on our students and they do that a little bit. And I think it's great, but I think it would be nice if it were more intentional because we do have, you know, we, we're talking more about that. Even at my school, we're talking more about our traditions and our languages, but we also have non-Native students who have traditions and different things in their family. So how do we encompass all of those? I think that it would be great if that was part of that community component. So what advice would you give fellow educators uh, looking into incorporate Indigenous teachings or practices into their um, classrooms? How would to promote diversity in there? I think that also the honestly the best thing is to look at your nat your your resources around you. I mean, around me we have the tribe, we have elders, we have community members. I think forging those relationships, especially with your parents, having grandparents come in, things like that are so incredibly powerful. Especially when you know I had students one year that were so rowdy a lot of the time, but not when I had my language people come in. They always, and then we're talking like all students across the board, native, non-native, they just were so curious. They were so curious about their lives. They're so curious. Students in general just have a curiosity. And then find a way for students to show their own cultural um, relevance. We have kids that, you know, they hunt, they fish, find a way for them to bring that into the classroom, their own cultural competencies, because that helps with their own identity. That helps them to feel like, you know who I am, you know where I'm coming from. Um, I have students whose families engage in motocross and that's totally part of their lives. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, how can we bring in their life into the classroom? Because they spend so much time here at school. How do we, how do we relate that? How do we get parents to feel, I mean, honestly, the, the saying is true. If a parent's good, the kid's good, right? So we need to build those community relationships and have, have those people come into our classrooms and really be the mirror for what we're seeing outside of our school. And I think that's really powerful. And I think that it would really help kids in general. So are there any, so are there any uh, projects or initiatives that you're currently involved in that empower indigenous students to promote their heritage and, and the educational system? Yeah, we are really pushing. So right now we're really pushing our, we, we're a tribe. We have 12 bands within this reservation. So we have many different dialects, but we're focusing on two. Um, we're pushing in those language teachers into the school. We actually had one of our languages be recognized as a high school equivalent for a foreign language. And so we're really pushing that. We are also pushing, I'm, involved in pushing culture nights. So we can, we're helping kids make regalia. We're helping, and it's open to anybody. We're cooking traditional foods. We're going to help them learn how to plant some of our traditional grasses and things like that. So those are, those are all, and those are things that we wanted to hit all of our kids with. We also have sixth graders who, you know, release salmon they grow them from eggs and they release them you know so we're really trying because we're surrounded by you know lake roosevelt and the columbia river we're really trying to hit kids at all levels and um not make it just a this is the month of 
but these are constant. So, you know, having our storytelling and telling people our stories, because this is our season and focusing on the spring when we're going to be looking at gathering our traditional foods and things like that. Those are all field trips that are planned and that we really are excited to see because, you know, we're not trying to gatekeep any of this. We really want kids to know, um, all kids to know this about themselves. Oh man, that sounds really cool. Like all of it, the salmon thing really caught my eye. They growing it from the little eggs. Yeah, yeah, and they release them. It's it's part of their project. They and and part of it is they dissect one so they can see the insides and everything, and that's cool too. But it's like this whole growth cycle. And like I said, for native people, especially for my tribe, salmon was one of our main food sources. And we've kind of made that greater reach that anyone that was actually living in this area, salmon, deer, you know, all those things were probably their main food sources because that's just what's local to us. So we're really trying to do that. But I think my greater challenge is to try to increase that scope to all students. I mean, we're, I want to hit Native students. We, we really have a lot of generational poverty and things like that. And we have kids that aren't as connected to their culture. We definitely want to get them. But how do we make this a culture-friendly place for everybody? You know, how do we have those conversations? And um, we're just starting to get into that work. I think the pandemic has been the best thing about that. We've really had to pivot a lot. And so this is one of our pivots. And I think it's going to be well worth the time and well worth the effort. And I'm really excited for the future. Okay, now we're getting into the teacher recruitment phase. We got to get some teachers in the field. We got to keep this going. Yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So you had to sell the education profession to someone looking to get into it in one to two minutes. What are you using as your elevator pitch? My elevator pitch for getting into education is it is the one field where you know that you have touched someone's life for the rest of their lives. Your impact is forever. And it is for people that have kindness, compassion, and have diligence, you know, and I really think that it's the best profession in the entire universe because of just that connection with people and the fact that I can tell you who my kindergarten teacher was, I'm 45 almost, and I can tell you who my preschool and my kindergarten teacher were um, and had good relationships with them. That's the impact that you have, and it's generational, and it's 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 endures time so it's why education is such an important field but it's also why so many more people should be involved in it all races all walks their perspective is powerful great it's great all right so we have a feature on the podcast called the shoulder tap it's when you Mm -hmm. give a tap on the shoulder and let a colleague let them know they're ready for national board certification on here yep quick shout out and we'll encourage them on social media and other channels to go through the process. So, Catherine Logue, who are you shoulder tapping? I am shoulder tapping Susan Duclos. She is an amazing, she's our business teacher. She does an amazing job. She's kind, she's caring, and she really wants, and she's part of this community. And I really love that about her. And she's just someone that really stands out to me. So that's my shoulder tap. All right. All right. I love to hear it. Catherine Logue, thank you for joining me on the podcast. No problem. It was awesome. Catherine was fantastic. The way she was able to weave her Native American culture throughout her stories was excellent. I want to thank her again for taking the time to join me on the podcast and thank you to listen to the National Board Conversations. 
please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.